Father, thank you for this time that you've given us today. Thank you for everyone you've brought. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts so that we would receive your word as, as it truly is, your word. And we would allow you, by your spirit, to work in our hearts that which is pleasing. I ask you to bless your word as it goes out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have finished our series in First Thessalonians, and we're moving towards the next book in which we'll be preaching, so be praying for that. I've got a few possibilities in mind that I'm studying, and so be praying for wisdom, what God would have us go through uh, next. Lord willing, in the next week or two, we'll begin that. Um, but in the meantime, there are certain passages that I like to remind myself of and, and then remind you, and, and that's really where my heart is at when I share the Word of God, I need to, first of all, apply it to my own heart first. Otherwise, it's just hypocrisy. And so as I'm studying, you know, I'm asking God to reveal what He intended with it and also to work on my heart, to convict me of sin, to correct me, to change me, that I would become more like His Son, Jesus. And, and so as I studied this, I was uh, blessed to be reminded of it. And some of you may be reminded, some of you may have never seen this passage, so I pray that it would be a blessing to you too. Um, today we're going to hear the parable of the sower, and I pray that we will not only hear it, but that we will listen. And I believe the condition of our hearts, we're going to see the condition of our hearts reveals how we respond to the Word of God. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 23, Matthew 13 18 to 23. Now, I just want to remind you briefly of the context of the book of Matthew to bring us up to where we are in this passage today. Matthew is about Messiah King Jesus. Matthew is about God the Son who took on human flesh to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to the Jewish people, his own people, those who would claim the Lord's name. And yet these same Jews were sitting in darkness. They were in sin. And Jesus, graciously having had the way prepared by John the Baptist, called upon, who had called upon the people to repent, um, taught them and preached the kingdom to them. And we see that in the earlier chapters, 5 through 7. And we, we see that he was affirmed through the miraculous that was brought forth in chapters 8 through 9. Jesus proclaimed repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he also affirmed that message with uh, the miraculous. Now, it's been over two and a half years since Jesus began ministering. And within that time, the Jewish people have hardened their hearts and closed their eyes to the truth concerning the person of Christ. They are unrepentant. And yet they're still seeking to gain from Jesus the stuff that he could bring forth, whether it's food or, or miracles or whatever it might be. But yet they're unrepentant. And Jesus would say even to the point they are an evil and adulterous generation. Now Matthew has also revealed that the religious leaders have revealed where they really are at. They wanted to destroy Jesus. And it's at this point the Lord Jesus withdraws from the multitudes and from the leaders, from clearly teaching outright. For two and a half years, clearly teaching, but withdraws and begins to teach in parables. And that's where we come to chapter 13, where the Lord begins to speak in parables. And his disciples will come along and say, why do you do that? Why are you doing this all of a sudden? Why are you speaking in parables? 
And so we come to our passage, the parable of the sower. Now, we're going to actually look at the portion in which Jesus explains the parable. The actual parable is in the earlier portion of the chapter, and we're going to look at that later on, but then we're going to go to the explanation. So just so you know that. And so we're going to start in verse 18. And I believe we're going to see what kind of responses we should expect to the gospel. He's going to say, those who have ears, let them hear. This is for those who can hear the word of God, those whose hearts are right to listen and learn from. He wants believers to understand why and how people respond the way they respond to the gospel. So then, verse 18, Matthew 13. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away which has been, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one in whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one whom seed was sown on rocky place, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root within himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one in whom seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So here we have the parable, the exor explained. And now we need to look at the context to understand how Jesus gets to this point to explain this and why he is speaking in parables. Look back in chapter 13 to verse 1. Matthew says, On that day Jesus went out from the house and was sitting by the sea. And, a great multi and great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. Now the term parable, parabole, para means alongside. In Greek, bole means to throw. It means to throw alongside. A parable is something that is thrown alongside so that one can understand something. A parable is an example or an illustration that is thrown alongside an argument to help illumine its meaning. And yet a parable has no real meaning unless it is explained. Unless it is explained. Now I want to warn you concerning parables. There are those who will look at parables and they'll take every little detail and try to fix it and force it into something rather than understanding the intent of what God through uh, his son Jesus, God the Son, would share. And so here we have Jesus now sharing this parable and at this point, he begins to speak in parables. It's been two and a half years. You might remember, and you might know that up to this point, you will not find a parable in the book of Matthew. The Lord Jesus has been clearly teaching, clearly preaching. Nothing is hidden at all. If you look back at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and I'll read this for you. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in all their synagogues, and pro proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. 
Then Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He was clearly relaying the word of God, that things were not hidden. But at this point, things would change. Notice verse 1 says, and gives us a clue, on that day, on that day. Something happened. What day? What day was that? Well, in chapter 12, which precedes this portion, which is the day he's speaking of, we have Jesus' condemnation of the multitudes. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Matthew 12, 39, and it included the leaders, this condemnation. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with the generation, with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He's speaking of himself. The queen of the south shall rise up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because it, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom song. She put in great effort to hear God's word, by the way. And I'm glad you put in that effort to be here today. Praise the Lord. She's, she came from great, great distance, it says here. Queen of Cell shall rise up with this generation and shall condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And then notice he says something very interesting, which it doesn't seem to make sense, but it makes sense if we understand the context of Israel. He says, Now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and it does not find it then it says i will return to my house from which i came and when it comes it finds it unoccupied swept put in order then it goes and takes along takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go and live there and the last state of that man shall become worse than the first this is the way it will also be with this generation you see, the Israelites, Jerusalem, they were idolatrous. They, they, they were expelled from the land by God because of their idolatry. And when they came back into the land, there was no more idolatry, no more outward sin, but it was hypocrisy. They had cleaned it all up and they were religious, but it was that much worse. It's dangerous to clean yourself up apart from Christ religiously. And so he's condemning the current generation that had heard, they had heard his preaching for two and a half years And they had, as we'll see, closed their ears and shut their eyes to the truth. So Jesus has clearly moved from his condemnation of the Pharisees to this condemnation of the present generation. And he says back in our passage, on this day, or on that day, on that day. It's that day he begins to hide his his truth with parables. We see in Mark 3.23 that he actually began speaking in parables earlier that day. This was a sad day for the Jews where God is now veiling his truth so that they wouldn't hear. So that they wouldn't hear. So it's from this point on we have this. Now in verses 3 to 9, we'll refer to them later on. We have the actual parable of the sower given to the multitudes. And today we look at his explanation. Now notice back in chapter 13, verse 10. We have Jesus giving the parable to the multitudes. This 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 
throw alongside. Think of a parable, throw alongside. That's what it is. And his disciples are perplexed. They're going, what's going on here? For two and a half years, Jesus has been teaching and preaching plainly and openly to the multitudes. And all of a sudden, he's starting to tell these parables. And his disciples, verse, verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And notice he says, and he gives him an answer. He says, verse 11, And he said to them, he answered and said to them, To you, speaking of his disciples, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him it shall be more given, more, more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. He's basically saying God is sovereign over who actually hears the word and how it stays and how it sticks. But we're going to see there's something that happened here. Notice the reason why. We can see the reason why God now is failing these things. The reason why. Verse verse, uh, 13. He says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled, saying, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but not perceive. And then here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. For the heart of this people has become dull or hardened. For and their, with their eyes they with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have notice it. They have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return or repent is a good word for that. And I should heal them. Or as Mark says in Mark 4.12, be forgiven. They heard the word of God and there came a point where they rejected, rejected, rejected. They turned away. They closed their ears. They shut their eyes. And so now God is saying, hey, I'm closing it from them now. I'm closing it from them. Very serious thing. Very serious thing. The responsibility falls on the hearer who closes his heart to the truth. Friend, this still happens today. For those who do not believe, when you choose to reject what God says, uh, God allows things to happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, Paul says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Even if they can't see it, they're on their way to perish. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. You see, when you don't believe what God says, God allows you to be hardened. He allows your mind to be blinded by Satan. We're going to see later on this first person, this first uh, parable, this, this seed, actually speaks of one whom Satan steals it away because it went on a hard heart. And so then he's explaining why I'm speaking in parables. And so there is a point, folks, where God gives man over to judgment. We don't know that point. We don't think, we don't, don't even dare to think we know that point. God knows that. We keep sharing the gospel. We keep sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died for our sins. And that he rose from the dead. We share the good news of that. But God is making it clear in his word. And it's ought to scare you. 
that there's a time where he veils it, he allows Satan to cause them to be blinded because they have rejected the truth. Very serious thing, very serious thing. So the Lord now is speaking in parables. But notice what he says to his disciples. This is the context for what we'll see today. Verse 16 in Matthew 13. But blessed are your eyes, speaking to the disciples, because they see, and your ears because they hear. You're blessed because you can hear and see. You can understand the truth of God. You're blessed. He says, For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. They had God in human flesh in their midst. They were incredibly blessed to hear the word from his mouth and to see God in their midst. Very blessed. But yet there were those around him who their judgment will be great, who rejected Jesus Christ, the generation, an evil and adulterous generation. So then he says you're you're blessed. Now he's going to speak to believers. This parable, the explanation is for us to understand what happens in the lives of those who hear the gospel. He's saying you guys hear it. They can't hear it. I'm speaking in parables so that they won't hear it. But I'm telling you here uh, why. And so he says here in verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. Hear then the parable of the sower. Listen, listen to it. Listen to the parable of the sower. And we've already read it, the explanation, and we're going to see that in a minute. But before we look at that, I want to share some observations that I think are helpful, and I have this in your notes, that are helpful in interpreting the parable of the sower. And you can look at the parable as I speak of this, because you'll see, I believe, that is the case. The first observation that we have is that there are four types of soil. There's four different types of soil, and those soils represent four different types of hearts. That's the first thing. As we look at it, you'll see that. Four different types of souls, four different types of hearts. And then secondly, the issue at hand is not an ongoing understanding of the Word of God as believers, but the reception of the gospel. That's what it is. Look at Luke chapter um, 8. Luke chapter 8 for a second. Luke chapter 8 verse 11. Now this is a this is the, the same parable being spoken of. We had it read earlier. And notice what, how, it's, how it's phrased here. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, Luke chapter 8, verse 11. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that what? They may not believe and be saved. The issue is salvation. The issue of salvation when we look at the parable of the sower. The issue of salvation. And the word, as we're going to see, is sown by God. God is the one who sows the word. We see that in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, it's God's word. Middle of 20, the man who hears the word. Middle of 22, the man who hears the word. Middle of 23, the man who hears the word. Every single one of these illustrations talks about hearing the word. And it's not a false gospel like most of the churches today, a watered-down gospel, just uh, if you want your life better, come to Jesus, whatever it is, rather than you are sinful on your way to judgment and God is gracious and gave his son in your place. Believe in him. 
It's the true gospel. It's the true gospel that's going out. These are responses to the actual true gospel concerning man's sinfulness and man's need of a Savior and then who the Savior is, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, another interesting observation we see here is the word is responded to in four different manners. We'll see that. We'll also see that the first three, I believe, are not saved, and the last one is, and we'll talk about that. And it's interesting, out of the four, one is never identified as a believer, the first one. Never identifies, never responds. Two identify as true believers without truly being saved, as we'll see. And one is actually saved. It's very important to see this. Very important to see this. And then we have one unbeliever who is a make-believer who apostatizes, turns away. And we have one unbeliever who stays in the church. So with that in mind, notice we're going to see also that fruit is the evidence of a genuine saving relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 23. And the one whom seed was sown in the good soil... Now, the seed has to do with the gospel. Remember, here's the word and is saved, right? The first man who hears the word and understands it and in, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, so 60, some 30. We'll look at that in a minute. Fruit is the evidence. You know, a good tree does not produce bad fruit. A bad tree does not produce good fruit. You don't get figs from, a, from, a, from an apple tree, right? A good tree produces good fruit. And fruit is the evidence of a changed heart and a new relationship with a God who enables you to be totally the opposite of the way you were before. So then, we have this, uh, this statement here. So notice the first one. Let's go to the first one here. In, uh, in, and I'm going to go back to the actual initial part of the parable in verse 3, and then we'll move up to the explanation. Look at verse 3. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds and, he, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. That's what the, that's what the multitude heard. That's all they heard. They didn't hear anything else. Um, we have it in uh, chapter 13, verse 3, middle verse 3. I'm going to go back to the actual first portion that he shares the parable, then I'm going to go to the explanation, which we're looking at today. So Matthew 13, verse, middle of verse 3, the actual parable, the actual parable. Behold, a sower went out to sow, verse 4, Matthew 13, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. This is the first location Jesus shares. And then he explains to his disciples in verse 19. In verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. Now we've already talked about it. It's hearing the gospel, the word of the kingdom. And here, this first one, notice, doesn't understand it. Doesn't understand it. There's no understanding, but it does reach the heart on all of them. It reaches the heart. It reaches the heart. He says here, and Satan snatches it away. The, the evil one comes and snatches it away from what has been sown in his heart. He doesn't, he doesn't understand it. Now, the term understanding here speaks of uh, two rivers coming together, joining. That idea of, I get it, I understand, I get it. We see in uh, Second, Second Timothy chapter 4, or chapter 3, that Timothy was given the truth from his mother and his grandmother, the six scriptures, which were able to give him the knowledge to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. 
to understand the truth of needing a Savior and turning to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So here it fell upon the road. That's the illustration. Think about a road. It's compact. It's hard. It's trampled over. That's the illustration. The seed goes down. It's too hard. The heart is hard. The heart is hard. And so the truth is not understood. The truth is not understood. You see, the Lord God tells us not to harden our hearts. Don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And what is it that hardens our hearts? It's an unrepentant uh, heart, a heart that's not willing to see one's sin. Hebrews chapter 3 is very clear about that, that we have uh, the warning not to harden our hearts. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. You see, if you harden your heart, God gives you over to your, to your own way. With Whether it's general revelation, Romans chapter 1, if, if you harden your heart, you suppress the truth and unrighteousness, God gives you over. Or his special revelation, like we saw back in Matthew 13, where they closed their eyes, they shut their ears, they no longer wanted to listen. They no longer wanted to listen. And so then, we see in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as they did as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, lest there should be any one of you with an evil unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another, as long as it's still called today, lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It hardens our hearts to the truth. We're going to see that the apostle, or not the apostle, but that John the Baptist went to share uh, the truth. Repent, prepare the way. We need to realize we're sinners and we need a Savior. And so we have the reality that sin is what hardens our hearts. Jesus spoke to the Jews in John chapter 3. We see that they were unwilling to come to him because they love their sin. They love their sin. So then here we have this first example of a hard heart. Look what happens. Verse 19 of chapter 13. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is the one whose seed was sown by the road, a hard heart. Just like the sower sowing seeds on a road, it's trampled under, it's, it's, it's not penetrating. The seed is not going into the soil. It's not going in, it's not penetrating because, here as we'll see, there's sin. Now what's interesting here is it says something very interesting, that the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. What's been sown? The word of God. The evil one steals it away takes it away. Very serious. Well, what does he mean? How does Satan take the truth of God away from someone who's heard the true gospel? How does he do it? Well, first of all, we know he's the God of this world, and ultimately he uses worldly philosophies to contradict and steal away the truth. But he also disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11. He uses false teachers who come along with their wicked deceptions and thus clog up or, 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 or cover or, or, or pervert the true gospel. If you have a hard heart because of sin, you will not understand. You will not understand. And I believe this first example of the parable of sorrow is what Israel was. 
they had a hard heart. Guess what? Their heart was open for a time. They were listening, but they hardened their hearts. Warning. Don't harden your heart if you hear his voice. There comes a point where you harden it, and then you won't understand. And Satan will steal it away. He blinds the minds of the unbelieving. It's a very serious thing. He will steal away the truth so that you will not be saved. Scary reality. What about Luke chapter 8? I'll read this for you. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those fell behind the road are those who heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. It's a warning. Don't have a hard heart. Don't be like Israel who had the God in their midst hearing the word of God from the God of the word. And they hardened their hearts. The gospel just falls right off and they don't get saved. Some of you here today don't understand the gospel and the truth that Jesus, the truth that Jesus died for your sins and rose from it, that you need a savior. That he is declaring to all men everywhere they should repent because he's fixed a day in which there's judgment. But your heart is hard. If that's the case and you're hearing this and you can still hear, ask God to soften your heart. Ask God to change the, change it to break a heart of stone. Ask him to plow the soil of your heart that you might be able to receive the truth before it's too late. The Lord knows when it's too late, but yet we don't. Ezekiel 36, 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, sin's in the way. And you've got to say, Lord, please help me have a soft heart that I would receive the truth, that it wouldn't be stolen away from me by Satan. Please. If you're willing to humble yourself, the Lord can break the heart of stone. Can break the heart of stone and till the soil so his word penetrates. Show me how sinful I really am, Lord, so that I would see my need for your son Jesus. It's an eternal warning. It's a warning. Well, that's the first group. And I believe that first group really describes what he just talked about concerning Israel. Now, he's going to talk about three other groups at this point, three other responses to the word of God. Notice back here at the second response, we're going to see it's hearers with unrepentant, superficial hearts who are initially receptive, but then they fall away when the difficulty comes for following Jesus. Now, again, I'm going to read the parable in the beginning, which he told to the multitudes, then I'm going to read the explanation. The parable back in verse 5, and others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. So it fell in rocks with not much soil. It's an illustration. You, you want to plant something, you plant it in rocky soil. It, it, it doesn't go in the soil. It doesn't have much depth, but it gets a little bit, right? And notice what he says. But when the sun had risen, verse 6, and they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. Simple analogy. And then notice Jesus explains it now for us to understand. Hear the parable of the sower. Verse 20. And the one from whom seed was sown in the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word. That's the word of salvation, by the way. That's the context. Immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. 
the rocky places. It's a rocky heart. There's no depth of soil. There's no depth of soil. He hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. Immediately. The genuine gospel, that's what it is. But the word used to say receive here is different than another word that's used to say receive in other places. This one means outwardly receive. There's another word translated receive that means to inwardly receive, to put the welcome mat out. That's not this word. He receives it. He outwardly takes it in. Speaks of an external reception. Now these people are those who believe, yet do not believe. And you say, wait a second, what do I mean? They come to an external acceptance of the facts of the gospel. They even rejoice over it immediately. They believe, quote-unquote, but as we'll see, they have not truly turned from their sin because the ground of their heart is stony and shallow. Some of you say, wait a second, how can someone believe and not be saved? Now read the Gospel of John, you'll see that quite a bit, by the way. You see, there's only one genuine saving faith. But there is a type of faith that doesn't save also. What do I mean by that? It's a type that's not really faith at all. It's not really faith at all. We, let me share some passages. Turn to James chapter 2. We see this very clearly in James chapter 2. There's a type of faith that's not a saving faith. People say, I believe Jesus, I rejoice, but they really don't believe what was really spoken to them, that they really are as sinful as they really are, and that they really do need a Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. We have it here, James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith? I got faith, right? Faith in our glorious Lord Jesus. That's chapter 1 there, chapter 2, verse 1. But has no works. Can that faith save him? Is the type of faith that person says he has a saving faith? And he'll go on to say that that type of faith is useless if there's no no works, if there's no change. He says, if a brother or sister without clothing need a daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and you do not give to them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith that has no works is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. They have a faith, but it's not a saving faith. says here, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Can that kind of faith save? There is a faith that people have which is not a saving faith. It's not a genuine faith because they never truly were changed. We see this in the parallel passage. Luke chapter 8, 13, I'll read it for you. And those who fell on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and they have no firm roof, and they believe for a while. They believe for a while. And then it says, when to time of temptation they fall away, or the word we'll see in a moment is apostatize apostasize so then it is possible to have an external belief that has not penetrated the heart because they've not truly repented this is the person with the rocky shallow heart it appears that the gospel has gotten through they're rejoicing but there's no firm root no firm root there is no root of true genuine faith this faith didn't penetrate it's not genuine faith it's a superficial reality to the true gospel now, there are superficial gospels out there that produce superficial faith. We know that, right? 
Paul said, hey, I don't want to come to you with superior speech or the wisdom of men. I don't want to come to be a slick preacher with good words that your faith would rest on men. I'm not talking about this. This is the gospel, the true gospel that didn't penetrate. As Luke says, they believe for a while. As Matthew says, it's only temporary. And notice why. Keep reading the end of verse 21. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, that's the gospel, immediately he falls away. Immediately. It's a bogus faith. Immediately when the persecution arises, he falls away. Scandalazzo, the word means to, to actually trip up, to, to, be tra- to, to be entrapped in a sense. It speaks of stumbling. Immediately when difficulty comes for following Jesus, they stumble and they fall. Very sad. The reality is you can come to faith in Jesus and you cannot really have faith in him. And you can suffer for that, by the way. You can suffer, actually, for doing the right thing externally. And when that persecution comes for identifying with Jesus, immediately they fall away. And as I said, it's not a believer who just walks away for a little while. This is a non-believer because Luke uses the word aphistomy, which is the word which, with which we get apostasy. Immediately they apostatize. They turn away from the faith completely. They turn away. The reality is there are many accounts of apostasy in Scripture. It's a very serious thing to hear the word of God and not come to faith because you are not saved. Some will reveal that in their actions. Some will not, as we'll say. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. For in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and made partakers of the Holy Spirit, hey, they were convicted by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, and taste the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible again to renew them to repentance. The reality is, if you truly haven't come to faith, there's the potential, you're like this soil, that you will just turn away, totally turn away. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, children is the last hour. And just as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they wouldn't have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown they are not of us. That's the second type of soil. Some of you here might be like this. You have an external superficial faith. You've rejoiced about it, but your heart has never been changed. Humble yourself before it's too late. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledge how sinful you really are and how much you need a Savior. Allow his word to penetrate. Lord, change my heart because you're in terrible danger. You may turn away completely, not even realizing you would ever do that because you rejoiced in what you found. But these rejoiced and they turned away completely. They apostatized. Well, what about the third one? The third one. Now again, I'm going to read the parable. Verse 7, And others fell among thorns, and they came up and choked it out. Simple analogy. Seed goes out. It goes among you know, these thorny weeds, and the weeds choke, out the, choke it out. Simple analogy. So Jesus explains now to his disciples in verse 22. 
And the one in whom seed was thrown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and notice what happens. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. The worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. He compares the heart of this hearer to the thorny soil. And just like thorns would choke out a plant, we see here the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, the translations are not the best here. Um, There are those who say this is a believer, but if you look at the original language, it actually says it has become continually habitually without fruit. That's the way it is. When he received the word, it was continually habitually without fruit and it becomes unfruitful continually habitually that the implication grammatically is it never had any fruit and it always doesn't bear any fruit all the time it doesn't and the one whom seed is sown in the good soul that's the next one you're going to see there's actually fruit born you see fruit is the evidence of whether one has been saved or not fruit is the evidence notice verse 23 and the one whom seed is sown in the good soil this man hears the word and understands it and who indeed bears fruit brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. God's word changes those who respond to it. God's word does not affect those who reject it, whether it appears so or not. Whether it appears so or not. Let me share some passages about fruit and salvation. I'm not talking about those who do good works to be saved. That's the opposite. I'm talking about those who abide in Jesus and then manifest his character. Look back in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist is baptizing for repentance. People identifying that they've repented. People are coming. The multitudes are coming. And then he sees the, the leaders who he knows aren't repenting at all. He knows that these guys are just phonies. And so what does he say? But when he saw, Matthew 3, 7, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For you say God is able to raise these stones to rise of children to Abraham. And then he says, and the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you want to identify with those who are going to follow Jesus, there should be fruit in your life. There should be fruit in your life. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? You can turn to Luke chapter 6. I'm not saying perfection, I'm saying fruit. I'm not saying perfection, I'm saying fruit. Luke chapter 6, 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. Jesus said that. On the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks that which fills his heart. And then Jesus says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everything, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, this is whom I show you he's like. The fruit is coming to Jesus, 
hearing his word and then acting upon it. You see, you can't do that apart from him. You need to have a changed heart. You can't obey the Lord Jesus Christ in the manner that he calls you to do so apart from a changed heart. What did the Apostle Paul say in in, uh, Acts chapter 26? I'll read it for you. Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring to those in Damascus and also in Jerusalem and throughout the region, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Now that's what happens. You're going to manifest his character. One last passage, 1 John 2. Very clearly he says here, 1 John 2, verse 3, And by this we know we have come to know him. You want to know if you've come to know Jesus. This is what John says. If we keep his commands, or literally his commands, the one who says, I've come to know him, and doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. The one the one who doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith and has no works? Can that faith save him? There's going to be fruit. And the type of soil, this third soil that we just saw, there's continually, habitually no fruit. But what's interesting with this third soil is it doesn't say they fall away from the church. They stay in the church. They stay in the church. And what is it that reveals the soil is bad? What is it? The worry of the world or this age and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. This type of false believer is the one who lives in the context of the worries of this world on a daily focus. That's their focus all the time. And the deceitfulness of riches, the security of money rather than Christ. Seeking for his kingdom. Nothing wrong with money, but the love of money is what I'm talking about. This person has a divided heart. They love the world. They're deceived by wealth. They have made a profession. Um, But these things choke it out. Choke out the gospel. And he says it is continually, habitually, without fruit. You see, if you're living day in and day out and it's just the worries of the world that you live in, that's just your thoughts all day long, and it's just about the security of money, it's just that, then I I would encourage you to examine yourself to see if you know the the Lord or not. You may have named his name, you may have rejoiced and, and, and responded, but that is choking it out, which reveals that you're not his, and your life isn't fruitful. And God is gracious. Hear the word, hear the parable. Hear the parable. Let me read Matthew chapter 6. And we're finishing up here in a second. We'll read Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. If your treasure is money, that's where your heart's at. And it's an evidence the world has choked out that seed 
because there's no fruit in your life. He says here, for the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Your eye is looking at what you desire. He says, if therefore the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You see, if you're relying on your finances as your security, if you're relying on that rather than trusting in the Lord Jesus because you've been changed, something's happened. Your profession is maybe not what you think it is. And God is so gracious to reveal this to you. That maybe you just heard the truth, but you, you still held on to your riches. Remember that rich young ruler that came to Jesus? Jesus, he said, I've done everything. What else do I need to do? And he said, go sell everything. Because he knew he was holding on to all his riches in his heart. He knew that. And he was grieved and he walked away grieved. You know, it's not money that's bad. It's the love of money. It's the, it's the trust in money. The deceitfulness of riches. It deceives you to think that's your security. Well, what's the best example of this? Well, he was standing right next to Jesus, wasn't he? His name is Judas. He'll be like the one with the rocky soil who falls away. We'll see it in a minute. But he also typifies this soil too. He never bore any fruit and he loved money. Judas was a worldly man who carried so much about riches, he betrayed Christ. He never bore any genuine fruit. Even though... Everyone who looked at him would have said he was a follower. The night that Jesus was betrayed, they were trying to figure out who's the one that's going to do it. They couldn't even spot Judas as the one. I hate to think of it, but maybe there's some of you here that have hard hearts that are corrupted with worldliness and riches. And you believe because you hang out the church, maybe a little bit here and there, that you've, you're okay with Jesus but you've never truly repented of your love for the things that are not of God. Never repented of your sin. And the, wor- and, the, and the word has been choked out. And you have no fruit. Leaving the clear indictment you were never saved. I've seen many like this. They make professions. They go to church. A lot of externals. But there's no fruit in their lives. They don't obey Jesus on the very basic things. They don't obey Jesus because they're not changed. But God is so good, he doesn't want anyone to perish. And if this is you, he wants you to realize, I've put my trust in these things rather than you. I have not come to you completely and relied on you humbly to save me. Save me, Lord Jesus, and he'll do so. God is so gracious. So that's the third one. And notice as we finish, there's the last one. The last one. Notice we have uh, in verse 8, back in chapter 13, others fell on good soil. The heart is ready. It's prepared. It's good soil. Yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some forty. And then Jesus explains, verse 23, And the one whose seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. What's the word? The word is that we're sinful. And that God has declared to all men everywhere that they should repent. 
because he's fixed a day in which he'll judge. There's going to be judgment for your words and deeds. And yet he sent his son in our place. And he bore the full penalty of God's wrath on the cross. He died for your sins. And he rose from the dead. And if you're willing to humble yourself, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, save me. You understand that. You understand. And you call out. Then you're going to bear much fruit because you'll be saved. He says, indeed, bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The heart's been prepared by recognizing sin and a need for a Savior. Will you do that today if you haven't? Will you turn to the Lord and recognize you're a sinner in need of his salvation and trust in him? He will save you. And the seed will take root in you, the seed of the truth. As you see, if you're saved, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God, that seed that has been sown in the heart. So then, if you claim to be a believer and you've never borne any fruit, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. God doesn't want you to come to him someday in punishment and saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. God's a gracious God. So let me ask you this. Have you heard the parable of the sower? Jesus says, hear it. Hear it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for your love for us, that you don't want anyone here to be self-deceived, that you love them so much you would send your own son to die for their sins, that you care for them so much eternally. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is like that first soil who is hard and ready to go to judgment close their eyes and ears, not listening, Lord, that you would break the heart of stone, that they would humble themselves and cry out, Lord, break this heart of stone, help me see my sin. Lord, I pray for those who are like that second group who rejoice in the, in the word, they think they're saved and yet uh, they're not, and they're about to fall away when it gets tough. Help them see this condition of their heart. And Lord, for those who are here and maybe staying here in the church who have been choked, the, the gospel's been choked out by the world and the worries and riches, that they would see it and they would turn to your son Jesus and be saved. And Lord, for those of us who have trusted you, we see that it's because we abide in your son Jesus that you produce a change in our lives. And we thank you for that change. We thank you for the fruit. Help us to bear much fruit. Help us to abide in your son and trust him in everything. To walk by faith in every area of our lives so that Christ would be exalted. Thank you, Lord, for this instruction so that we would know why and people respond the way they do. It's because of where their hearts are at. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.